0: All right, please be seated. Hey, turn with me to Amos chapter 5. Amos chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse 18 today. We'll throw it up here on the screen in just a moment. Amos 5, beginning in verse 18. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall, and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Did I bring, Did you bring to me sacrifices and offerings during the forty years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You shall take up Siketh, your king, and Cayun your star god, your images that you made for yourselves. And I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. The word of the Lord. What is justice? It's a word we hear over and over and over and over again throughout the scriptures. It is not only a recurring theme that we see throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, but it's also a recurring theme in our society as well. It is impossible to turn on the news or certainly to get on social media without encountering calls for justice across the world. The spectrum. And sometimes these calls for justice are like really specific in that they relate to certain cases, such as the case of George Floyd, or in the case of the over 200 girls that were kidnapped by the Islamic terrorist group Boko Haram in Nigeria a couple years ago. But sometimes calls for justice relate to things that are more systemic or more societal, such as calls for an end to institutional racism or calls for an end to abortion. But justice as a concept, it can sometimes be a little bit nebulous to us. And in our world, in many cases, it can seem as if there are two sides to calls for justice. Some people who say this should happen and that's what justice should look like. And other people who should say, no, 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 the opposite of that should happen. And that's what justice should look like. Today, the prophet Amos famously calls for Israel to, quote, let justice roll down like an ever flowing stream. Or to use Eugene Peterson's language in the message, God tells Israel, I want justice, oceans of it. I want vast amounts of justice falling down. But what are we talking about exactly? The Hebrew word here is the word mishpat. This is the word justice. Mishpat. It can have two different connotations. The first is what could be called retributive justice. If you steal my car, get caught, And go to jail, that's retributive justice. In the case of George Floyd, who I mentioned a minute ago, a court found uh, Officer Derek Chauvin guilty of murder. He'll ultimately receive some kind of a jail sentence. In this context, that is retributive justice. Uh, The justice system has decided that a crime has been committed and will ultimately hand down a sentence in response to the crime that has been committed. Committed. A wrong has been perpetuated. And justice will be employed in order to correct the wrong or to respond to the wrong. We certainly find examples of retributive justice throughout the entire Bible. And it's worth pointing out that the justice system, both here in America today and in the days of Scripture, and certainly during the days of Amos was not and is not inerrant, meaning that sometimes unjust things are done in the name of justice. And in many cases, justice goes unserved. Retributive justice often doesn't happen in response to terrible, unjust, heinous things that happen in our world. But the other way that mishpat is used is in what could be called restorative justice. So it's not just a response to an individual crime or an individual injustice, but but this is a form of justice that concerns itself with working to repair the, the sort of collateral damage that has been done. So you could think of it like this: Retributive justice is more specific. It relates to specific crimes, specific criminals even, specific actions. Restorative justice is more systemic. It is more societal. It is, it's broader in nature. So the point is, God's desire for Israel was that they would be a people who loved mishpat. That they would be a people who loved justice. That they would say um, yes, um, that in, in res- that they would like respond to, of course, criminal activity in their midst, but but even more so, they would say yes to being a re- to being a people who would respond to injustice by caring for others. An example of this would be that quartet of the vulnerable we talked about a few weeks ago, this group of people who comes up again and again and again, especially in the Old Testament, the orphan, the widow, the immigrant, and the poor, a group of people who both specifically and and in a sort of representative way uh, provide us a glimpse of the kinds of people that God is talking about when he talks about justice, the kind of people in our society who are perhaps the most vulnerable. Here in Amos, we've seen these kinds of people, the poor and the needy throughout this book, have been the recipients of much injustice at the hands of the wealthy, at the hands of the elite, at the hands of those who have power. They have been crushed and oppressed to use the language of Amos, by the rich. Currently, we're in what we're calling section two of this book, and the prophet is presenting a series of monologues directed at Israel. And today's theme is could be something like the day of the Lord. Remember, that's where the text started. Like, why do you want the day of the Lord? And, and that phrase, the day of the Lord, is a phrase found throughout the Bible. Um, it's, it's both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the New Testament... It's often used to talk about the return of Christ. So the day of the Lord is this day when Jesus is going to come back and make all things right and set all things right. And, and yet in the Old Testament, it's used in a variety of ways. And, and the prophets primarily employ it. Um, Amos's use of this phrase, the day of the Lord, is actually one of the earliest uses of this phrase in the Old Testament. And, and it's quite possible that what's happening here is that the people living in Israel during Amos' time... We're talking positively about the day of the Lord as if, oh, man, it would be so great if the Lord came and gave us what we wanted. But what Amos is saying here to the people in his time is, guys, you don't understand what you're talking about. Because if the Lord were to show up right now here in this place with you people, it would not be a good day for you. Things would not go well for you. I don't know what kind of like Santa Claus God you're buying into who just gives you what you want. But if that God were to show up right now, it would be a bad day, Israel. You guys don't understand what you're talking about. And the irony here, though, is that one way or the other, Mishpat is going to be accomplished. Right, Either the people of Israel are going to wake up and repent and do what the Lord has called them to do in a restorative way. Or the Lord himself is going to come through sending other armies in or, or whatever means he chooses to employ. The Lord is going to exact Mishpat because of the injustice of the people of Israel. So, so no matter what, this is going to happen. But God's desire throughout the first part of chapter 5 is that the people would listen. Like that they would turn to him, that they would repent, that they would do justice. And so these are the two paths that the prophet is sort of laying before Israel. Either you can step into what God wants for you, or you can pursue your own way at your peril. It's up to you. Look with me at verse 18. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall when a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? No, no, listen guys, you definitely do not want the day of the Lord. What are you talking about? And the feeling is somewhat mutual. I mean, God's... God's not wanting to spend time with you either right now. Right? God's not interested in your songs. He's not interested in your worship. He's not interested in your sacrifices because he knows the heart behind all of those things. He knows the vanity he knows the sin. He knows the unrighteousness that's behind all of those things. So God's not taking any delight in the things that you're doing. He's not listening to your songs as if they are this to use biblical language this incense that's wafting up to him. No, no, no. It's it stinks. Like it doesn't smell good to him. It isn't something that he desires or wants. Look at verse 21. He says, I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. So so perhaps here, even though the Israelites are worshiping an abundance of different gods at this time, perhaps they're also still in a sort of, you know, uh, traditional way, embracing some of the things that Jews have always done. So On one hand, they can be worshiping Baal and and some of the gods that are mentioned in this text. Sikath, this star god that they have developed for themselves. That they could be worshiping those gods and yet also taking part in the Passover, perhaps. Or also taking part in the Feast of Booths or some of these traditional feasts that the Israelites had always uh, observed, had always followed, that God had instituted. And and what what he's saying here is that I'm not interested in that. Yes, I might have commanded you to do some of those things, but, but I want those things to happen from a place of love. Like one of the things we said last week is that God's not interested in your affection if it is divorced from obedient action. He's not interested in your affection if it's divorced from obedient action. And we said in the same way, you're probably not interested in the affection of your spouse if that's divorced from faithfulness on the part of your spouse. If, if your spouse is unfaithful to you, then what does it matter how he or she feels about you? And God feels the same way here. You can gather together and have feasts in my name. You can sing songs about me if you want to, but I take no delight in it. I don't receive it as worship. I don't receive it as praise. Even though, verse 22, you offer me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen. It's like everything you do is offensive to me, says the Lord. Because you are disobedient, everything else that comes after that is an offense. I do not feel worshipped. I do not feel loved. I know what you guys are really doing and thinking and believing. I know about your disobedience. I know about your unfaithfulness. I know about all the other gods you're going after. And to you and me today, the same thing is true. God knows you. God sees your heart. God God sees what's in your head. And, And for many of us, really all of us, what's in here can be a wasteland at times. It can be desolate and dark and and like the exact opposite of what you project to the world around you. But you're not fooling him. And that's the continual message to Israel is, guys, who do you think you're kidding? Right? Like you're only deluding yourselves here. So what's the solution? The solution is justice. The solution is mishpat. But let justice roll down like waters, verse 24. But look, not justice only, but also righteousness, like an ever-flowing stream. Righteousness as well. This is the word, mishpat and tzadokah. This is the word righteousness. It's found over and over and over again in the Old Testament, just like mishpat. And often it is found partnered with mishpat. You will hear the words justice and righteousness presented as sort of a phrase. Talking about Israel, talking about what God desires, what he loves. You see it throughout the Psalms. What does God desire? He desires you to be a nation That does mishpat and sadikah. He wants you to be a nation that does justice and righteousness. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear the word righteousness, I immediately think of like moral living. I immediately think of being like a good person. And and, and I remember yet Paul's words in Romans 3, and he's quoting Psalm 14 when he says, There are none who are righteous, not even one. So if that's true, why, why does God demand righteousness from Israel? Why, did, why would he demand that from us? How does a person, much less a whole nation, go after righteousness? Or, or how even do we do justice? Theologian Alex Montier says that Sadekah is about those who are, quote, right with God... And therefore committed to putting right all other relationships in life. In this sense, righteousness is not about being sinless. It's not about being perfect. But it's about knowing God, knowing the truth of God, believing the truth of God, and being obedient to him as it concerns other people. So a few explicit examples of this. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9 says this. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all of those who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, sadeka, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Here, Proverbs 31, to judge righteously means to judge rightly, correctly, fairly. Another is Jeremiah twenty-two, three. Thus says the Lord: Do justice and righteousness, do mishpat and sadekah, and deliver from the hand of the oppressor. Deliver you from the hand of the oppressor, him who has been robbed, and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, meaning immigrant, the fatherless and the widow. Nor shed innocent blood in this place. So here, to do justice and righteousness means to act on behalf of victims and those who are vulnerable in society. I mean, it's pretty explicit. And, and man, as I read that, what immediately comes to mind to me is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Parable of the Good Samaritan, you know the story. A man is beaten up and robbed and left on the side of the road for dead. And a Samaritan ultimately comes by and enacts mishpat. And Sadaqah. Because this is in relationship to another human being. This is another person who has been left here. Who was obviously vulnerable before. Who was susceptible to robbery. But now is left here on the side of the road to die. And two people. The people who should have known better. A priest. A Levite. The religious people. They pass by and they see him. But they don't see him. Right? They know what's going on. And they shut their mind off, they shut their heart off. The ones who should know God's compassion and heart for such people keep on walking. It's the Samaritan who stops by and not only like checks to see is he alive, is he dead, but it is the Samaritan who comes in, who puts his own money up on the table, so that this person is restored, so that he's healed. Hey John, can you go click the air up? It's freezing. Can you go just back up, please? Thank you, sir. I see everybody. Everybody's like freezing. So, Jesus is saying the same thing here, right? Like, like Jesus in that parable is giving us a picture of what it looks like to love our neighbor. To respond from a place of justice and a place of righteousness. To quote Tim Keller, we do justice when we give all human beings their due as creations of God. And it's God who is at the centre of this because it is He Himself that He's calling us to emulate. God's at the center of this because he's the one that we are to look to as our example of how to live and how to be. And in particular, as it relates to righteousness, how to treat other people. Psalm 33, 5. He, being God, loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. declares the Lord. That's Sadeka. You are practicing righteousness when your boast is, I know the Lord, and I know what his character is like, and as a result, I'm seeking to treat other people in the same way, with steadfast love, seeking to accomplish justice and righteousness on their behalf. That is what the Lord delights in. I could literally spend the entire time reading texts that basically say the same thing from all kinds of parts of the Old Testament, that this is what God cares about. In the end, everything here comes back to what Jesus said was the summation of all the law, of all the prophets, the whole of the New Testament, that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we love our neighbor as ourselves. And so church, as you go into your week, You are to go. We are to go with this lens and this intent to seek to do justice and righteousness. The gospel is not good news if it doesn't compel people to free captives or to advocate for victims or to give the voiceless a voice. What makes it good news if it's only for some time later after we die? That doesn't square with the ministry of Jesus. That doesn't square with his care and compassion for people around him, for the way that he brought healing, for the way that he brought an end to hunger for hungry people, the way that he brought an end to mental illness for certain people. This is at the core of who we are as a church to both declare and to demonstrate the gospel, because to declare it only and to not demonstrate it renders our declaration null and void. In Jesus' parable in Matthew 25, those who truly know him, according to Jesus, are the ones who fed the hungry and who gave water to the thirsty and who welcomed strangers and who clothed the the naked and who visited the sick and, and who visited those in prison. Jesus said, as you've done it to them, you've done it to me. And what he's describing there is the outworking of a biblical understanding of justice and righteousness. If you know me, then this is how you interact with my creation. Those who are made in the image of God. Treating people who are made in the image of God as if they are made in the image of God. No matter who they are. One thought in closing today, some people want to read a passage like this which is about the nation of Israel here, and they want to immediately jump to the conclusion that all of these things should be applied to the nation of America today. They think, well, Israel's a nation, and America's a nation, so God must want the same thing for America as a nation that he wanted for Israel. But that's an incorrect hermeneutic or, or way of interpreting the Bible. What made Israel important was not simply the fact that it was a nation. What made Israel important was the fact that they were marked as God's people, Right? That that he said, like I like you are my people, I am your God. That's what made Israel significant. So in today's world, we can't just look at some passage about Israel and assume all of these things onto America as well, because we've been told that America is a Christian nation or that God blessed America. Like instead, we have to ask the question, who are God's people today? Who are God's people today? And the answer to that question is the church. We are God's people. America is not in the book, guys. We are in the book, though, because we are a part of the body of Christ. Like, we are the church. So, so I say that to say that if your assumption is that the work of justice is primarily or only to be the work of governments, then I think you're actually missing some of this. I would say, though, that scripturally it seems to be the case that the work of retributive justice Largely does seem to be the work of governments. And and I think the scriptures would even indicate that that's part of the reason why God has given governments to us. Is is to work on our behalf for retributed justice. I think Paul speaks to that. But but the question of restorative justice. And and the work of restorative justice. Largely seems to be the work of God's people. Us. So, So the question is... What are the broken things that you see that God has given you maybe some level of compassion for or some level of resource to address? Like, what is the brokenness around you? It exists. You you might be like the priest and the Levite. You might be like walking by with your blinders on. But we have to ask that question. For those of you who are teachers, it could be something going on in your school, a child, a family. For those in the business world, it could be the way that you maybe see people being manipulated or being taken advantage of or misled. How could you be an agent that not only works against brokenness, but also an agent that brings healing to those who are the victims of brokenness? Let us seek the Lord together in answering those questions today. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, Lord, we could spend a lot of time on this subject area, and um, we will continue to as we continue to dig into the prophets, because this issue comes up again and again. In the same way that it was an issue for Israel and also for Judah, it is an issue for us, undoubtedly. God, we talk so often about the injustice that we see in our world, and because of the pervasiveness of media and social media, Father, I confess that I often feel over, overwhelmed at the amount of injustice. I can't imagine how you feel having full knowledge, full understanding. And Lord, I confess it can it can it can seem like I have no clue how to respond so often. But Lord, this morning for all of us, I, I pray that you would give us eyes to see What you have put in our path in the same way that for the Samaritan, the man on the side of the road was literally in his path. What are the things that we are walking past and choosing not to see? And how might our blinders be removed, God? I pray, Lord, that the gospel would awaken our hearts the work of restoration that you have called us all to. Father, as your ambassadors in this world, sent as your agents of reconciliation, God, I pray that we recognize not only intellectually, but in our hearts that that Jesus brings complete healing. That the healing that Jesus brings is not just some theoretical thing, but but that, Father, he has come to bring us Eternal healing. And if we know the source of that, if we know the way and the truth and the life, why would we seek to not only not tell people about that, but why would we seek to not emulate the way of Jesus by bringing healing when we are capable of it, or restoring when we are capable of it, or bringing relief when we're capable of it, in the name of Christ, in the name of the gospel? because you have brought us restoration. You have brought us relief. You have brought us healing through your Son. Give us wisdom this morning, Father. Help us to separate the wheat from the chaff, to know what you've called us to, and to be bold and courageous to do it. It takes bravery to stop on the side of the road and deal with the possibly dead person in the ditch. But praise Christ, you did just that for us when we were dead in our sin. With no hope. May we be so moved by your grace and love and mercy. that we extend grace and love and mercy. In the name of Jesus, amen.